Welcome to the CEO.Digital Show. My name's Craig McCartney. And I'm Darcy Thompson-Fields. And this is an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights that will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders now and in the future. You can find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. Welcome, everyone. In this exclusive podcast series, we've teamed up with Citrix to find out more about where the private sector should turn its attention to in accelerating sustainability initiatives. We spoke to a range of thought leaders across multiple organizations and consultancies, companies like Capgemini, Ericsson, Boston Consulting Group, and more to shine a light on this very important topic. Across production, supply chains, IT, working practices, and culture, this is where climate action begins. We hope you enjoy the series. Look out for the individual episodes, and please like, subscribe, and enjoy the podcast on all your major podcast channels. Thank you. So as mentioned, our podcast features a carefully selected panel of experts, starting uh, with Dr. Marcel Vollmer, partner and director at BCG, Boston Consulting Group, Jody Muta-Hamilton, founder, consultant, and an advocate of innovation for sustainable fashion, Tanya Spee, partnerships and PR manager for Vattenfall Solar Team, Jarvis Smith, co-founder and director of My Green Pod, and Ahmed Kanama, executive chairman of Wien Energy and director of sustainability for Ericsson, and also featuring Dr. James Roby, global head of sustainability for Capgemini. So there you have it. What a lineup. What a great panel of experts. So what we'll be doing is we'll intro each guest shortly. We'll ask them to do an introduction. And then Darcy and myself will field a number of different questions to them. So I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, and I'll hand over to Darcy to kick us off. Our first panelist is Dr. James Roby. James has led the Capgemini Group's sustainability agenda since first setting carbon reduction targets in 2008. He also lectures on sustainability at a number of universities and is a member of both the Environment Leadership Group at Business in the Community and the Senior Advisor Network to the Alliance of the CEO Climate Leaders at the World Economic Forum. Welcome, James, to this very special episode of the CEO.Digital show for our first ever sustainability panel. Could you give a bit more of an introduction of yourself to our listeners? So I suppose my, my journey in terms of sustainability probably started 15, 16 years ago when I started looking at some of the, the mega trends which are going on globally, whether it's around population or resource consumption or, or climate change. And I came to the conclusion fairly quickly that uh, sustainability is going to completely revolutionize and change the whole business environment over the next few decades. So from that perspective, started to have some conversations internally in terms of how we could respond as a business and as a result of that, I've been driving a program for the last uh, 15 years or so, first of all for Capgemini UK and then for Capgemini globally. Fantastic. And what led you from a career history perspective? Was sustainability always a focus for you as you were starting your career? So way back at the beginning, my original background was in uh, economics and maths. It's probably some of the economic implications of some of the sustainability constraints and some of the sustainability trends, which really got my interest and got me thinking about how business needs to to reinvent itself or how it's going to have to reinvent itself going forward mm. if we're going to find a way of living in a in a sustainable manner if we're going to find a way of uh, avoiding the worst of climate change and adapting to what we can't avoid from that perspective we've very much been thinking about sustainability at capgemini through a couple of lenses the first lens is from an operational perspective how can Capgemini reduce its own impacts? How can we, we play our part as a responsible business, whether that's through you know, the impacts we have through the energy we consume in offices and data centers, whether that's through um, business travel, which, of course, is a, a huge challenge in the professional services industry. So that's, if you like, the operational piece. But then we've been thinking beyond that in terms of, well, actually, how can we make a difference with our clients? 
recognizing that uh, many of our clients have environmental impacts which are many, many times larger than Capgemini's. So some of our automotive clients, for example, might have carbon footprints which are 200 or even 300 times that of Capgemini. So from that perspective, we've started to think about how do we how do we embed sustainability into the work we deliver with clients? And a couple of years ago, we were first in sector to actually set a target to actually help our clients reduce their carbon footprints. In this section, we speak with Tanya Spee, Partnerships and PR Manager for Vattenfall Solar Team. Tanya is currently completing a master's at Delft University and has partnered with Vattenfall on the Vattenfall Solar Team project. The team of seven students have just unveiled their latest car, the Nuna 11, and will be taking it to be competing in the Solar Challenge in Morocco in October 2021. Listen to hear insights on how the team is progressing and Tanya's opinion and insights on what companies can be doing to create a more sustainable future. Welcome, Tanya. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to? So right now I'm working at the Vattenfall Solar Team, which is a team consisting of 17 students, mainly from the Technical University of Delft. In one and a half years, we are basically building our own solar car. So we're designing, building, testing, and in the end, even racing with our own car that drives fully on the sun's energy. And my role within the team is to be the main contact person for all our partners. And I also do communications and I'm the spokesperson of the team. So actually things are not all that technical within the team, although I do have a technical background. Next, we hear from Marcel Volmer. Marcel is partner and director at Boston Consulting Group with over 20 years of experience developing and implementing procurement, supply chain, finance, shared services and digital transformation strategies. Marcel is leading conversations on defining and implementing sustainability strategies for clients globally, some of which he shares with us in this interview. As former CPO at SAP, he's also initiated and implemented sustainability strategies for SAP globally. Welcome, Marcel. Good to speak to you again. It'd be great to get an introduction from yourself. We have a lot of C-level executives approaching us and discussing the strategies for the future. And of course, there's a big variety of strategic topics at this point in time. And when you look at supply chain, and I see procurement as an integrated part of supply chain, so you can define supply chain in a simple way as plan, source, which is the procurement piece, make and deliver to keep it very, very simple. And basically, in my role as partner at BCG, I try to help clients defining their strategies in really how to transform the procurement function. My main focus is the digital transformation, but also seeing that we can embed the future trends for the procurement function, no doubt about last year or almost one and a half year back. There was the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Risk management, resilient supply chain were on the top of the mind of every C-level, getting everything what is needed to keep the production running. No doubt about that this is a top priority, but there's much more. Also looking in supplier innovations and sustainability because we see more regulations in this space. And with that, companies also looking what to do in the procurement function. And when you look at sustainability, there is a scope one, scope two, and scope three. Scope one is basically the CO2 footprint, what you have to run your operations. Easy, and it is not so difficult to, to measure that. But when you look at scope two, it's the electricity what you buy. You can have also data on that. You can use, use them. But scope three is everything upstream and downstream. So basically upstream is what you buy from your suppliers. So the procured product, the transportation for all supplies, but also travel, what you need. And then scope three, the downstream, when you have your ready manufactured product, which you deliver to your customers or the end consumer, depending on in which business, in which industry you are. And measuring that is definitely a key priority and a challenge because you simply don't have all the data. For this section, we speak with Jodie Meter-Hamilton. She's the Strategy and Communications Director of Fashion Roundtable and founder of Black Neon Digital and Project 2030. Jodie has worked across communications and marketing for the best part of a decade, helping fashion technology startups to connect with their audience in a meaningful way. 
In this conversation with Jodie, we explore her need to push forward the conversation around sustainability and innovation in fashion, particularly through her Project 2030 brand, a not-for-profit initiative which is bringing people together to create a garment traffic light system. Hi Jodie, so you're up next. Give us a quick introduction, including anything you wanted to add. I graduated fashion in 2001 from Kingston University in London and I've worked in fashion in some guise for the past 20 odd years across marketing, branding, comms, PR, retail and for the past eight years more around tech and innovation in tech but for fashion firms. I've also founded my own Made in the UK swimwear brand I work with various clients as well through Other Day, which is a sustainability and communications consultancy, including one client we have, which is called Fashion Roundtable, which I'm also a partner of that business. We sort of sit between parliamentarians and the fashion industry and try and broker conversations that predominantly lead to systemic change through policy as a tool, using policy as a tool. And then other, I work with other clients on a smaller sort of basis who tend to be, I'm kind of good at going in at the founder level and helping them grow their teams. That's my, seems to be my area of passion and expertise because I find when teams get a bit larger, I lose a bit of momentum and I feel a little bit perhaps efficiencies aren't there <laughs> that I'd like to see. So yeah, I tend to move on. And yeah, like I said, I've had my own swimwear brand and kind of launched that in around 2008-9 after coming back from an overseas position in Mauritius, which was head of design and sampling for a factory out there. So really saw firsthand supply chains and kind of how people work within that and manufacturing and kind of how decision making from a CEO level or from a buying team can really affect people's lives, to be honest, and affect their daily lives and if they get paid or if they don't or that sort of thing. So, so yeah, quite a broad and varied kind of rolling career, I would say. And more of late, like I said, I launched Other Day in 2017, which actually initially was to explore sustainability in fashion and see who the current players were at that time and kind of really get as much knowledge as I could around sustainability. And, and kind of I've helped our platforms help to basically share that knowledge outside to industry and help them to navigate certain difficulties or bottlenecks or kind of try and you know, invigorate some sort of new thought within the industry as well. And then we recently about, I'd say probably about two years, two, three years ago now, started working on Lab 2030, which is the initial idea with that was to create a traffic light system similar to the food industry has, but for clothing. So you'd literally know what you're buying but it's incredibly hard to do that as we're still three years on and the idea with that was to try and get it legislated which still might happen but let's see that's become more of a, a kind of data and research driven lab I would say that we're working on there currently seeking funding if anyone wants to join us on there. You'll now get to hear from Jarvis Smith co-founder and director of My Green Pod. Jarvis made a commitment to millions on Channel 4's eco-observational documentary Dumped to focus his life's work on inspiring the masses to live more conscious and aware of the circumstances that affect our planet. As well as founding My Green Pod, Jarvis is also a founder and host of the country's leading sustainability awards, the P Awards People Environment Achievement Awards, now in its 10th year. Listen for Jarvis's insights on how we should be prioritising planet and people over our business objectives to ensure a more sustainable future for businesses and the earth alike. Hi Jarvis, great to have you here. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, well firstly thank you for having me, it's a pleasure to be here. Nice to meet you too. So gosh, I'm co-founder of an organisation called My Green Pod. We've traditionally, for the last 13, for nearly 14 years, been an ethical lifestyle media company. And we publish, actually, the, the world's largest, most widely distributed ethical lifestyle magazine with The Guardian. It's been going out with The Guardian for, for 13 years. We now also run a, an online shop, which so it kind of sells products that people can buy that are trusted from, you know, sustainable uh, business owners, good supply chains, products that are not bad for 
for people and planet. Um, so better products than the average products that you would be able to get. So that's the kind of the online version of what we do. And uh, we also won the UK's leading sustainability awards now in its 11th year called the PEA Awards, People Environment Achievement, which Citrix are a headline sponsor for. You're about to hear from Ahmed Kanama. Ahmed is an executive chairman of Wien Energy and director of sustainability for Ericsson. A doctor of philosophy, Ahmed is a leading voice on corporate sustainability, having published multiple papers and built over 17 years in leadership experience in the energy sector. Ahmed will draw insights from his experience to encourage companies to put sustainability at the top of their agenda and help it to meet and further their business objectives. And welcome to you, Ahmed. Thank you so much for joining us. Your turn for a brief introduction for the guests. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm super excited to be part of this conversation. I, I've been working the whole of my career working on the energy questions and then reducing the carbon emissions for different clients that I work and also different large corporate organizations that I try to support the reduction of the carbon emissions. I think my passion connected to sustainability is because I do see myself as more business-oriented rather than the activists within the sustainability area. And I will love the areas when the business and sustainability cross each other. And that's the point that I see that I can create the most value. And I have my most of knowledge on, on those intersection of the sustainability and also business, which I think that the, the language is like how to make profit, how to make revenue, and, and then how to run a business that is making profit for the stakeholders as well. Right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for the introductions. Great to learn a bit more about you. And thank you again for joining us for this podcast. So let's dive straight into the questions. Uh, we'll start with you, James. What about technology in a business? How is the cloud impacting sustainability? How is the move to working from home, you know, millions of people going to work from home, impacting the amount how much they use and that, you know, goes into the data center that gives us a certain amount of power. Is there an argument to say that that's also impacting sustainability? So building on that, I think we need to recognize that IT has a significant impact. So if, the, if you took the tech sector and you added up all of the energy being consumed by that sector, it would be the third largest consumer. If we were a country, we'd be the third largest consumer of, of energy. Therefore, we have a huge responsibility in terms of the transition of that energy to renewable sources. And we have a huge responsibility from an impact perspective. But probably more importantly, from an IT perspective, is the fact that it's been calculated that if you compare the carbon or the energy that IT is using compared to the carbon or the energy that IT can save, there's a tenfold factor. So uh, essentially, there's an enormous opportunity to apply technology to driving organizations more efficiently, whether it's like the example I used before about thinking about applying IT to your logistics or your operations to make them more efficient or whether it's just through enhanced collaboration tools and driving down carbon from travel. So clearly the sector has a, a massive responsibility in this space to really deliver on that opportunity and, and drive the level of change that we, that we need. So when talking to a CIO, the IT function, I suppose typically we'd think about it through three lenses in terms of how, how the IT function can help an organization to have a positive impact in terms of sustainability. So the first of those levels would be the IT function itself. So how can you reduce the environmental impacts of that function? So it could be as straightforward as using renewable energy on systems. It could be around thinking about how you use technologies like virtualization or cloud, or how do you rationalize your systems so that you're reducing the overall IT footprint of your organization. So that's the first level, effectively, the, the, the housekeeping of the IT function to say, how can you be more sustainable, reduce your impact? The second level, then, is how can IT impact the wider organization? So how can you use IT to reduce the overall impact of the broader operations of your, of your organization? So, for example, we use the example of, of optimization in logistics. You might use the example of applying IT to your ERP systems, your manufacturing systems to, to think about how you might reduce waste. 
you might look at automation. So you might say, how can we automate some tasks? Because it can be then be potentially more efficient. You can reduce the, the requirement for real estate or you can reduce the, the impacts. So that second level is really sort of thinking through the how can IT bring more efficiency, more, more optimization across the organization? And then the third level is almost how can you apply IT for a client to help the client's client? So, for example, um, you know, how might you work with a, an energy company to deploy smart meters such that the customers of the energy company can then reduce their consumption of, of energy? So they're the three layers that we would tend to think about when having a conversation with a, with a CIO, starting with the, the IT itself and then pushing right through the organization and into their value chain. Yeah, Craig, that's a great question. And I would definitely answer this with a clear yes. Um, the current situation on the one side, the behavioral changes what we see due to the fact that we are working a lot from home. Um, the social distancing or still as a European, I'm not allowed to travel to the United States at this point in time when we have this interview because the borders are still closed for Europeans. And this is also transforming the way how we engage and how we collaborate. And I think I don't want to say that COVID-19 did anything good to the human mankind. Definitely not. But what we have seen, what is a positive change is the acceleration in the digital transformation, how we use technologies. You mentioned one very important one, cloud. We are using now cloud solutions basically for more or less everything. We are jumping on video conference calls like what we do right now for the recording of the video. In the past, probably we would have picked a date when I had a chance to travel to London or where you are based. And, and then we would meet and do this interview in, in person. This has changed. And this is definitely one advantage on leveraging technologies focusing also on the sustainability footprint. We as BCG, for example, we are committed to um, net zero, what we want to achieve, and also to ensure that our people travel 30% less by 2030. So this is our net zero target, the date what we have uh, defined. And this is also happening because it's not only us changing it as a strategy consultancy, it is basically also what we see in the industries with the working from home regulations, what the tech companies are doing now. Facebook, fully remote work is possible to do as one example. On the other ones, it is three days at the office, two days at home. So we see that the technology gets leveraged. On the other side, Technology is much more than just using remote working technologies or video conferencing systems or cloud systems. It is also looking into that by getting transparency about every aspect of your supply chain. And I think that's very, very important also using the emerging technologies to get the transparency and taking decisions also based on the data you have access to, which is much more compared to what you had in the past. You know exactly where your products come from. You even can get the transparency about each single step where the production happens, the raw material comes from, the assembling is happening and things like that. And this is these are exactly the information coming back to what I explained as scope three upstream, basically knowing, understanding what you get from your suppliers. Technology is really helping here a lot. It doesn't matter if we talk about Internet of Things, the connected devices, 5G technology in the future, even technologies like blockchain with the ledger what you have by keeping all the information transparent and also no way to manipulate anymore. You know exactly where your palm oil comes from. You even can trace it until the field where the palm oil was harvested from. You can exactly also see which ship was it, what kind of vessel is it transporting it to the harbor, and then you know the transportation. So therefore, you only can do this by having access to the technology and companies looking now how to really measure this in a smart way. What is available? How can I also ensure that the information are correct? Because if I sign off as a company, hey, my products are sustainable, this is here the transparency we can provide, you better have the transparency and can assure that all the data are correct, but it only can be correct if you know how it's getting getting measured in the right way. And therefore, you need technology, and this is absolutely key, having access to the latest technologies for your supply chain and running your procurement function with that. 
Definitely. I mean, the innovation piece is interesting. And like I said, the different ways of working in terms of presenting sampling or collections, digital showrooms, that kind of thing. But also, I think, you know, when I think about sustainability, and part of the reason I love it is that it's around efficiency gains as well. And kind of, if technology can help us with anything, surely it's efficiency and understanding kind of patterns of work or flows of work or production lines or can it support made to order in a better way or if we think about people purchasing online and then that kind of information gets fed straight back to a factory or we should be able to control the flows of production a lot easier and I mean that's a really basic example but it's kind of surely there's an opportunity for technology to help us and innovation to support I mean I'm particularly an advocate of innovation to support human connection and what that looks like and how we can create physical and offline and digital kind of experiences with each other that don't necessarily revolve around product. Are there any particular technologies that you think are key to advancing sustainability? Yeah, I definitely think there is. Our solar car basically combines all new technologies that can that can be thought of <laughs> in a solar car. And I don't necessarily think that in the future we will all be driving in such a solar car that we are building right now. But the technologies that we use can be used for just different places in a sustainable future. Just battery technology, because right now most batteries are made of lithium and lithium ion is more toxic for the environment and it use more, uses more scarce materials. So right now, the battery in our solar car is a lithium iron phosphate battery, which is basically just better for the environment. So I think in the future, more and more batteries will be of that lithium iron phosphate type. So that's one example. Gosh, I mean, we've seen thousands of things come and go over the last kind of decade that we've been involved in this in this sector. But what I think is amazing now is, is there's some really creative educational app services that people can buy into. So there's really simple things like energy monitoring. I mean that's that's kind of I guess a bit of a thing of the past now. But but more importantly, there are apps that you can link up with your bank account or your supply chains and your purchases that will tell you the carbon footprint of that particular purchase. So I think anything like that that can educate people along the way is is really empowering because most people want to be more sustainable. Only a very small amount of people have actually acted on it. Why is that? Because they don't really know what to do. So the more bits of technology that can educate and help people to understand that, that their lives are you know, not quite in tune with the way that they want to live, that to me is a real winner when it comes to technology. I think the other aspect to this is that nearly every business or service creates its business model based on taking something from nature. So I think that, you know, some of the technologies out there now that are allowing people to understand that if they are buying into this brand or using this service, that this organization is giving back to nature as part of that transaction, that I think is going to be the key to our success about getting out the other end of this climate crisis. So there are technologies out there now. I mean, we use one called Treaty, which will literally give an example to our audience whether that's a business customer or an individual customer, will tell them that we've embedded restoration into this transaction, i.e. planted a tree or some sea kelp or a mangrove that's essentially sequestering carbon, which keeps the temperatures down and the weather systems uh, functioning properly in the ecosystem. So those kind of technologies that are giving education to people um, and proving that they are bought into a system that is actually in support and giving back to nature, I think is paramount. Yes, of course. I mean, I come from a technical background and then I do see technology to be, if not the main enabler, but among top three enablers of, of sustainability. And then when I'm talking about technology, I'm talking more about AI, blockchain, machine learning, deep learning, and those type of advanced technologies that they can enable the solutions that by nature are a bit more advanced than the, the conventional solutions that we have in the market. And then they can pave the way that we can reach like lower carbon emissions to have more decency in the business 
and then all these sort of transparency that we, we need within the sustainability areas going forward. I mean, if I go back to my sort of main interest, which is energy within sustainability perspective, I mean, for example, on the carbon reductions, still we have a long way to understand the sort of the scope of where the sort of any kilowatt hour of the electricity that you use, where does it come from? And then have a right clear structures that we bring that sort of information to the consumers and then make sure that we are reporting on that carbon emissions in the right way as well. And then, for example, a blockchain technology can help that a lot with a sort of consensus in order to find the source of the electricity and then make a system that we can report that carbon emissions from the sort of electricity generation and then have the right structures to reduce that carbon emissions in the future. So, yeah, I think that, I mean, there are many applications, AI, blockchain, deep learning, and, and the machine learning type of applications that they enable the sort of the way mm. that we want to build a sustainable corporate and sustainable society in the future. And it seems like what's fundamental to ensuring sustainable practices is not only the technology and the business perspective, but also the cultural perspective. Is this something that you think that businesses could and should be doing? Absolutely. So in terms of the expectations we see, the expectations on organisations have changed quite dramatically over the last decade. Interestingly, I did some research with Henley Business School looking at actually what the motivators were, the drivers were for uh, organizations to invest in sustainability. And um, in, in the top three, the number one was actually about employee expectations. So just reflecting what you've just said there in terms of the, you know, if I want to be able to recruit the best people, if I want to be able to retain people, then absolutely we have to have a credible story in terms of sustainability, whether that's the environmental side of sustainability or, or the social side of sustainability. The other drivers, the other two strong drivers were also expectations in terms of clients or customers, whether you're business to business or business to consumer. And then thirdly, the expectation of the owners of the business or the finances of the, of the business. So whether it's uh, your shareholders or whether it's your partners or whether it's even the banks that are lending you money, there's a strong requirement often in terms of your, your sustainability credentials. I think that at the C-suite level, you know, all of those kind of, if you like, decision-making teams and people within the organisations should not only be trying to be in service to the operation, but to be in service to the team. So, you know, how can you do that? You can implement certain structures within the organization, which are allowing people to be less intensive on the planet. And so working from home, which is such a such a huge one, because we've all experienced that, you know, if, if people work from home just two days a week, that would decrease their travel carbon footprint by you know, 40%. That's huge. So if every organization did that, clearly that would have a very, very positive outcome to the issue that we're dealing with. So yeah, it's got to come from top down. But but what we're noticing, unfortunately, certainly over the last decade is, and historically, it's tended not to come from top down. It's come Mm. from bottom up. So our awards, the People Environment Achievement Awards, is really honouring individuals and teams, those people within organisations that do actually step away from their day job to actually initiate a sustainable or a corporate uh, responsible initiative within the organisation. Now, that has become mainstream now. So obviously, a lot of companies are doing it from the top down. So I think that these kind of C-level people within organisations, they've got to get as clued up themselves They've got to be Mm. living it because it's that classic Gandhian statement, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And then, of course, your teams and the people that kind of work under your under your leadership are going to feel inspired by that. And that's a classic, um, important way that we can also step forward in this time. From your perspective, what should individuals and companies prioritise when it comes to their sustainability agenda? That's an interesting question. I think that it's most important people actually see the importance of it because when people are just given a set of rules that are meant to be more sustainable, they will not really see the importance of it and they will see it as a must instead of how nice it actually is or how nice it can be. So it should be 
pretty much effortless and easy things to do, little things to do, such as maybe putting charging stations in front of the company and think about plastic packaging and separating ways, be smart with paper and use some sustainable products, make people work from home, which of course is often the case right now. <laughs> so it should be easy, simple things to do that should not be all that drastic because then it's maybe difficult for people to adapt to it. And I think it's just most important people um, really should get enthusiastic about it and want to make that change rather than they're told to make the change. I think there's many opportunities for engagement. We're involved with the World Economic Forum. Our CEO sits on the CEO Alliance of, of Climate Leaders. So there are uh, lots of organizations like this where there are opportunities in the UK. We're part of uh, business in the community and we work on their environmental leadership team. So there's lots of opportunities to work with NGOs and to work with governments in terms of this dialogue, in terms of what we need. Essentially, business is probably the most powerful um, tool we have in terms of, uh, of delivering the change, but businesses need to work within the right framework. And that's where we need to work in partnership with government to set the right frameworks around the expectations in terms of driving down carbon emissions. If you give businesses the right policy frameworks, then they can deliver amazing transformation over quite short periods of time. What is it really what the government should do? What are the related regulations? What is it what companies should do? At the end, of course, I personally believe, but that's only my opinion, I'm, I'm not speaking for the company on that, that you need a certain set of regulations also to start the process around innovations. And great examples are here, the CO2 footprint in the automotive industry to build on that example what I have have shared earlier already. We see also a, a consistent reduction of CO2 footprint, which led basically also to the adoption of new technologies. So therefore, regulation can definitely help and initiate a process. At the end, I think that companies need to look what are the um, regulatory requirements, what is the framework I'm in. It is a different uh, If I have my business in China, if I have my business somewhere in the European Union, or if I have my business in the United States or anywhere else in the world, you have different reg regulations and you have also different conditions and a way in how you basically can or can't produce certain things. And this is definitely something also what needs to get combined. So regulatory requirements on the one side, and then as a business, you need to define um, how do you want to position yourself? What is the competitive advantage? What you have in the future? Sustainability ESG might be one key criteria for your industry. And then building on that and also ensuring that from the vision to the goals, this goes down into your organization that you really live and breathe the objectives, what you have to find for your business to be successful. And at the end, We see 52% of the companies in the Fortune 500 don't exist since uh, the year 2000. This is already some years back, so in the meantime, it might be even more. Not all are bankrupt or something like that. So also acquisition things, what we have seen. But basically, we see how significant uh, the change is and how fast the change can be. Look at innovative companies like Nokia, for example. Where are they today, at least out of the mobile business? Look at Kodak. They invented the digital camera. Today, we have multiple of these cameras on your on your smartphones using them on a regular basis. But Kodak doesn't exist as a market leader anymore in this segment. Kodak still exists, but not being a leader in this, in this space anymore, what they were before. Much more examples of what we see is happening right now. For me, it's a really simple question, and it actually gets complicated the more people kind of think about it. So we've got all these different initiatives, you know, climate business, net zero, circular economy. It's all kind of just human condition stuff, which I think is part of the problem. I think what businesses need to do is very simple, is to consider nature as part of your business model. So nature is obviously not an infinite resource. It's, it's, it's a finite resource. Yes, it keeps growing stuff. But as we're seeing very clearly with the fossil fuel industry, we are running out of oil. And so nature has given, 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 given. And, and hardly anyone has ever given back. So all we've done is taken and not given back. So I think very, very simply what businesses can do is to try and understand, okay, what am I taking from nature in order to create a commercial business model? 
How can I give back to nature in that balanced scenario? And am I willing to actually put some of my profit back into the planet? If you can consider those three things and act upon them, then I think you've nailed it. And so that's obviously going to be very different for every single organization. But in the simplest form, they're the three things that organizations and businesses need to do today. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to find out if there are one or two issues that are top of mind that should be top of mind for organizations today and anything that we haven't yet covered. So top of mind issues. I think probably front of mind would be just keeping our eye really on where the science is going around climate change. Even in the last even in the last month, we have seen an increasing number of extreme weather events, whether it's nearly 50 degrees centigrade of heat in Canada, whether it's flooding in Germany or China or India. And while you can't bring a single weather event back to to climate change, you can bring this increasing pattern of extreme weather events back to climate change. So I think, you know, top of mind has to be the fact that we are starting to see more and more climate-related weather events. And with COP just under 100... um, Uh, 100 days away now, really, I think that that focus has to be on from an organizational perspective, you know, how can business work in partnership with governments and other organizations to really look at how do we drive those carbon emissions down? How can we redefine the way we do business and not just incrementally? We wrote a, um, Capgemini wrote a a piece of uh, research about a year and a half ago, just before the previous COP, called the Sustainable Business Revolution. And really that's setting out the fact that what we need is a revolution. We don't need that incremental 2%, 5% improvement year on year. We need to radically redesign the way that we are driving our industries. So really, I suppose that would be my call in terms of really thinking the unthinkable, pushing the boundaries and really saying, how can we get that step change in terms of carbon reduction, in terms of resource efficiency that we absolutely need? It is definitely needed that we pay attention to the changes, what's going on. We need to look what's happening currently. And I know it is climate change, global warming, things like that. It is for certain groups common sense. Others are not so strong in believing the same. I think at the end, we might come to a common ground to agree um, things are changing right now. And when we look at data like average temperatures are going up, or basically also when we take a simple calculation, the mass on the raw materials, what we are consuming from this planet. Um, This is only one planet, and you can't argue against that. And the number of raw materials, resources, what we have has limits. And therefore, I think we need to look into that. How can we be smart enough to really go for the next level? And I think... What we are very often mix and what I see in political discussions, also in some internal discussions, the change also has an opportunity for innovations. I don't see really that this is all the time reflected also on the opportunities, what this brings with it. It is more seen as, oh, another regulation I need to save or basically people outside or politicians wants to tell me I'm no longer allowed to fly for my vacation, things like that. I think this is going in the wrong direction. I also see it as a driver for innovations. And when you look around and... I'm now 50 years old. When I was born, basically, what was the technology available? My phone was going this, basically, dialing one number, waiting until until the wheel came back, and then it evolved. Television just got color and things like that. Where are we today? We have all the automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotics, uh, autonomous vehicles, things like that, all the disruptive technologies. At the same point in time, when I was born around 3.4 billion people were on Earth. Now we are close to 8 billion. So we more than doubled. 
the number of population. But we still, it's not perfect, but we have the best conditions. Most people in labor we have on the health side, we see the best basically what we have, including the technology, including the automation, which is leading to the next level. And I think we should also look into the innovation and the possibilities, what sustainability and a focus on ESG brings, and not only just to see that. And this is basically where I don't feel all the time that people see and look on the opportunity side, but more looking at our regulation or something will get forbidden, which I believe is a little bit too short-sighted when you look on the overall holistic approach. I think just to give a shout out to Fashion Roundtable and the recent reports that we've done, actually. One, we've done cleaning up fashion, which looks at all kinds of topics from one day slavery to kind of quite in-depth topics that perhaps aren't the easiest reads, but it gives a very clear guideline around what we need to do and also how we can support SME businesses and that sort of thing as well. And then we've also recently released a representation and inclusion in the fashion industry paper, which actually is is almost coming up to three years of work where we've had, we've gathered evidence, parliamentary evidence, oral evidence, surveys, lots of data has gone into that. And we've looked at an economic aspect as well of a less inclusive society. And kind of in a nutshell, they're the issues that need to be solved from a sustainability point of view, but from also an equality point of view. And actually a creative, like creative community kind of beautiful world that we want to live in you know yeah I kind of just actually released a podcast last night that I haven't shared yet but the people that I talk to there is all around kind of trying to create your own or trying to create a better version of what what we're being fed so ultimately if we all believe that we're going to walk into like a burning earth then that's kind of where we're heading you know that kind of where the head follows and all that uh, or the body follows that sentence so we need to really work on creating a better picture that we want to walk into because otherwise it's not going to happen right we're going to go in the opposite direction yeah I, I think I'd like to say that I'm really really proud and pleased that we've been working with Citrix now for I think it's coming into fourth year now and what I've found from them is is that the the level of integrity that they've used in underwriting their, I guess, change and shift that they've wanted to make within the organisation to be more sustainable is I, I've never seen that in another organisation that I've worked with. Their commitment and their willingness to try things and work with situations that they might not even fully understand is profound. I think that any organization out there that can align themselves with organizations like Citrix that are willing to put their money where their hearts are, actually, is the way that we can build this long-term business ecosystem, which is paramount in, in terms of what we need to do. Yeah, I think that one of the things that I always come is a sort of come across, for example, on LinkedIn or when I interact these days a bit more virtually with the students and younger generation, I see that is a huge interest and uh, sort of energy from those younger generations to, to make those things happen. I think that it is important that the C-level executives, that they have the hands on the decision-making, big decision-makings, they support the younger generation in order to make those changes to to happen we see i see a big difference of the thinking as well on the sort of more senior people and the younger generation they want to come into the corporate force and then my message to younger generation is that don't be any less ambitious in your thinking i think that we need that energy to make the changes that we need we are in a sort of transition mode on making our societies even better. And then we need that energy to come. And then to my fellow colleagues, I would say that don't think that as a risk. I think that it is a big opportunity for, for all of us in this planet to, to have a better life on this planet and then make the business that is fully aligned with the sustainability values. Are you optimistic about the future? Um, do you think that obviously there's still a lot of work to be done, but are, are you confident about uh, the success of sustainability and, and obviously preserving our business, preserving our, our lives and, and our planet? 
I'm very optimistic. It's in my nature. It is also the way how I live every day. But basically, I also see a lot of positive things now initiating a process on a mind shift, what's happening right now, uh, the regulatory requirements, we mentioned that, and also the people want to understand a little bit more about that. And I think this definitely, and I just explained a little bit in how technology evolved and the population more than doubled. So basically, by seeing that, what happened in the past, what's happening right now, I'm very positive about the future. I think we have a beautiful future ahead of us. No doubt about that. We need to accept certain changes and we will also see innovations we could not even envision. Whoever would have talked about cloud solutions or thinking about blockchain technology or now the connected devices, what is possible with 5G technology? It was not thinkable even a few years back. And now I think this all gives the opportunity for new jobs and also for solving problems we have as of today in a different way. The circular economy, for example, might help us really to think also in a different way in how do we recycle products? How do we get the raw materials used once to create a product back out of it and basically then create new products? And this is definitely what, for my understanding, makes me personally very optimistic. And I believe we have a bright future ahead of us. There will be change. Not all the change will impact equally everyone in the same way or not everyone will see it positively like like I might see it now. I, I do see it now. But basically, the change is definitely also an opportunity. Yeah, I think there is hope, but we've re- we've got to be serious about the hope aspect and not try and cling on to historic patterns that have got us into this mess in the first place. We've got to really live in line with our values, really understand what we want for ourselves and humanity and kind of be kinder to each other and ourselves and, and move into that better picture. A huge thank you to all of our panellists for sharing some incredible insights on how business leaders can work towards a more sustainable future. It's clear from this that sustainability should be at the top of everyone's agenda. And if we can adopt at least a few of these strategies, we can have significant impact on the health of our people and planet. If you enjoyed this very special episode of the CEO.Digital show, you can see more from our IT sustainability and workplace experience project with partners Citrix, including reports, blogs, and the full-length interviews from this panel, visit CEO.Digital. Mm-hmm.